I just like the multifamily one because you can do the FHA and get more bang for your buck. So we were able to buy, you know, essentially four rentals at one time doing that FHA. Welcome back to The Prospecting Show, where each week we talk about tips, tricks, and methods for growing an amazing small business pipeline. I'm your host, Dr. Connor Robertson, and on this podcast, you can expect segments on communication, sales, prospecting, and closing. Thank you to everyone who has supported my 100 episodes and 100 days goal going into 2020. Enjoy the show. You know, I appreciate you guys spending the time to kind of tell me a little bit about what you do. I know Keith was telling me a little bit more about uh, what you guys do together, but maybe it would be kind of cool to hear from from the horse's mouth what it is you guys are doing, at least on the rental side, and that way I can have a better understanding. Yeah, definitely. I remember talking to Keith a little bit about it um, the other week in Pittsburgh, and he seemed intrigued. He's like, all right, you guys seem to have the good idea, the whole rental income pay for itself kind of thing. Um, it's something we really just got into last year. Um, I would like to say I can speak to it a little bit easier, um, but Travis knows a lot more about it than I do. He kind of tailed me into it. So it's probably best if he gives you like the broader overview of it. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, yeah, so I was lucky and my parents had rentals the whole time I was growing up. So just grew up with the mowing the grass and, you know, fixing little stuff here and there. And, and Abby's family still still has rent houses to this day as well. So it was it was nice that we both had some experience with it. And then something I've always been interested in, but I traveled around a lot for work up until a year and a half ago or so. And I would literally move like every three to six months. So just didn't want to be like a long distance landlord and never quite worked out. Um, but then decided to move back home and kind of partner up with my dad and his insurance office uh, about a year and a half ago or so now. And just had been listening to a bunch of bigger pockets and diving into a bunch of financial independence stuff. And everything I was reading and hearing was like, if you can do a good house hack, that's like the number one thing to get you on the right path. So that was like my main goal when I got back home was just to find like a duplex, triplex or quadplex to move into one of the units and then rent out the rest. And uh, House Act, if, if you're not familiar with it or other people, it, it's essentially just having your renters pay all your expenses and you essentially live for free. So uh, on a fourplex, it typically, typically works the best, but even on a duplex that I originally bought, um, me living in half and renting out the other half covered m pretty much all of my expenses and, and mainly talking about the mortgage, taxes, and insurance. And instead of that costing me like 700 to 1000 a month, it was like probably 100 or $200 a month that I had to come up with. Um, and then I was only looking to buy a duplex and then I'm from a town of 3000 people. So there's not that many options and wanted something in my hometown <laughs> and, uh, a, a family friend of my dad's had three duplexes that he wanted to sell. And it was kind of a, an all or nothing type deal. And I kept telling him I only wanted one and he, he wouldn't do it. And he just kept dropping the price and dropping the price and eventually got to a point where I really wanted them. And, uh, 
found a small town bank around here that, that did some fancy finance work that probably got us into the crash in 2008, but somehow <laughs> they're still doing it now. And uh, let me put down essentially no money down loan on, on three duplexes all at once. Wow. Um, yeah, it's knock on wood. It's worked out great so far. Inherited um, six renters at the time. One of them left a month or two after I bought them. And then I moved into that unit and uh, still in there now. And then back in September, Abby and I found a four unit property over in St. Louis. And we really like the city. And right now my place is about an hour outside the city. Okay. And so she's lived in the city city for eight or ten years, and we just really like being in the city. Um, but I didn't want to drive an hour each way to work, so we kind of wanted to try to find something that kind of fit fit all of that. And uh, we found a fourplex in Soulard, which is the prime area of St. Louis where Abby's lived for eight or ten years now, and um, just a great property. Two of the units are two bedroom, one bath, and the other two units are one bedroom, one bath. And same deal. We took one of the two bedroom, one bath units and the other three units there more than cover the mortgage taxes and insurance, even with us not putting a dime towards it. Um, so we kind of have our, our city apartment and our country <laughs> place is how we look at it. And neither one of them are really costing us any money. Wow. And then actually started, I started Airbnb in my place and my little okay. Not thinking much would really come of it, um, but we do have a, a really big lake in my town that does get some tourist traffic in that, and it ended up renting out like every weekend. Wow, this past summer. Um, so that was was some nice extra income that we weren't expecting, and we're going to try to do the same thing in St. Louis, and just the the weekends that we're in St. Louis, we'll rent out the the place in my hometown. The weekends we're in my hometown. We'll rent out St. Louis and and vice versa. So we're we're just really trying to maximize the the housing game and make it be an asset instead of a liability for us. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have really figured that out. So let's maybe let, let's talk about the the OPM that you guys did. You got zero zero down financing on a triplex. Is that is that what you you said you got there? So it's actually three separate duplexes. Three so, duplexes, okay, and and one mortgage or, or multiple mortgages. All one mortgage, all from a wow. small town bank here in my hometown, and um, basically my dad had to co-sign with sure. me um, and put up a little collateral, but didn't have to put any money down on it, and um, just kind of one of those down home <laughs> deals, I guess it's, is the best it's, way. It's good growing up playing basketball with the banker's son, in other words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the thing, though, is the small banks seem to do really well, because if you go to a, a large institution like uh, Chase or one of those big banks out there, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the collateralization of it, plus the risk table, and pretty much just decide off of that, right? They're not going to look at the people and the, and the relationship and the, and the utility of the product. They're just looking at, you know, oh, this person's, you know, uh, has no net worth and they want to put no money down and they just look at it in a bad way. So I think the way you guys did it definitely makes sense. Now, what's the, what's an average, um, you know, more mortgage 30 years. Is that what you guys took out on it? Like, are you building equity in the home right now or are you just trying to cash flow it still? Uh, we're, so I originally locked in a loan for 10 years. Okay. Um, with stretched out, um, 
30-year amortization, but fixed rate for 10 years and um, got it at four and a half with no money down, which I wow. was pretty happy with. That's amazing. And um, then that's the one. So the three duplexes in my hometown, we're trying to just throw as much money at those as we can right now and get those paid off um, here within the next five years. Okay. And that would give us enough money, probably two to 3000 a month where just kind of like our breathe easy money. If one sure. of us, you know, wants to change jobs or go do something more of a passion project or something like that, it's enough money where we can at least like survive. Okay. Off of, um, with having no housing expenses, no car expense, that type of stuff. Um, so that's our plan is just to funnel, you know, we're still doing our 401ks, our Ross, all that kind of stuff, but everything kind of on top of those, we're just planning on putting towards the properties for the next five years, getting those three paid off. And then who knows? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the plan will change within the next five years. <laughs> um, but that's the plan as of now. And then for, for all other kind of entry level investors and people that want to just get started, an FHA loan is, is in my opinion, by far the best thing for somebody looking to get started. And, and why is that? Because of the qualification criteria or the percentage or, you yeah. know, what, 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 just for people who don't know what an FHA is, you know, how, explain FHA that. FHA is a federal housing authority loan and it's essentially government backed or government protected or some, something of that sort. And you can buy up to a four family unit using this type of loan and you only have to put three and a half percent down. Now, gotcha. I was able to use, you know, this hometown banker, like got a good loan, worked out okay. But even them, they wouldn't do that type of loan down in St. Louis. So this FHA loan, we still only had to put three and a half percent down. And we're, and it's a fixed rate for 30 years. And the interest wow. right now are around three and a quarter, three and a half percent. Um, so, you know, not... <laughs> Not that it's nothing, but, you know, I mean, our parents grew up in the 15, 20% interest rate days. And right. <laughs> to be able to lock in a, a loan for three and a half, four percent, five percent even, like that to me is, is just crazy. Um, so, yeah, for anybody looking to get into it, I mean, to only have to put three and a half percent down. I mean, in my area, you can buy a duplex for $100,000 or less. So to wow, get really? than $5,000 and put that towards a rental property and essentially have zero housing costs. To me, that's, that's the best investment anybody and, can make. Yeah, absolutely. And what, and what would you say about the, the risk tolerance with going from, you know, a duplex to a triplex to a, to a quadplex or, you know, something bigger. Do you, do you ever worry about the, the renters not necessarily paying or, or leaving or whatever it is that kind of changes your, your cash flow position for that month or, or future months? Do you ever worry about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been very fortunate so far that none of the original renters that I got have moved out so far. Um, I mean, we're only talking a year, but it's been a year. Sure. And, um, everybody's stayed so far. I've got fantastic renters. So it's worked out great so far. Um, but in my, in my hometown, there, there's a lack of rental, rental properties available. So I don't even like, I've never had my places for rent. I don't really tell that many people about them. And I still get at least one phone call a month wow. looking for a place to rent and, and rent just keeps going up and up and up. 
in my area. So I, I mean, yeah, I'm going to have a month probably where like, I'm going to have to fix some stuff up, you know, rehab and that, but I, I'm not really worried about finding somebody in a good amount of time. And same thing with St. Louis, we had to fill one unit when we bought our fourplex over in St. Louis. And we actually filled that from a friend of a friend before we even bought closing on the property. And so, I mean, we, we have, I would say like upper middle, not upper middle class places, I would say where they're not, but they're definitely not the worst. Um, so we're kind of in that, what I think is the sweet spot where we still are able to charge decent rent, but it, it's not the highest, not the lowest. It's not going to crash on us. Yeah. And, um, rental prices go down and that type of stuff. I, I feel like our places are in that, that nice middle ground where we're we're not trying to get peak rent or anything like that and we've got some wiggle room in them sure and 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 what would you say for people who maybe don't want to go full for a for a duplex or a triplex like you know let's talk single family home would you recommend that to people or you think that's too much risk because it's one renter and if they're gone they're gone plus the fha loan is going to be a little different um meaning you haven't really extended it to its full capacity I mean, everybody's kind of got their their niche and their opinion. And I mean, there's guys that'll argue to their blue in their face that single family's better than multifamily. And some guys say, you know, you got to get up into 10, 12 unit apartment complexes and this, that, and the other. So, I mean, there's guys that have made fortunes doing it a house at a time. And there's guys that save up a ton of money and buy a 10 unit, unit apartment complex as their first deal. Um, right, right. So Something I think huge. it's just kind of personal preference and what somebody's been exposed to in that. Um, I, I don't know that the house at a time. I just like the multifamily one because you can do the FHA and get more bang for your buck. So we were able to buy, you know, essentially four rentals at one time doing that FHA, where if you're doing the single family, you can only do one FHA at a time really, or you can only even hold one FHA loan at a time. So if you bought a house FHA, for one thing, you got to live there for a year before you can rent it out. That's one of the stipulations. Okay. So you got to live there for a year, then you could rent it out. And if you wanted to do another FHA loan, then you have to refinance the place that you're in now, get it to be not FHA. And it's just, you know, more of a process. I'm not saying you can't do it and you can't make money. but I don't know, for us right now, the, the apartments were just kind of easier to, to get a few of them quickly. And sure. It's, it's a good quick out of the gate, right? Because a lot of people are probably looking at it and saying either, oh, well, one family, uh, single family home is easy for them to, to get, but then you don't get the FHA. So you got to put 5% down or something to, to that nature. Or you got to go for the multifamily, the large multifamily, like a 10 unit apartment complex, which like you said, requires a crap load of money up front uh, or else you, you really can't put any money down. And I'm assuming you can't qualify an FHA beyond that the four units. Is that, is that what you were saying before? Yeah, that's correct. So it's got to be four units or less and all in the same building. So it couldn't even be like two, you know, how, they, how sometimes there'll be like two duplexes right next to each other, or even kind of sharing a lot in that. And, and from the way I understand it, it's gotta all be one building. Sure. Be able to qualify for the FHA like that. Gotcha. Now, now what's, what's your guys' goal? So, you, you know, you, you have all these strategies here, you got multiple units, you kind of have it all set up, you got the right loan type, but what's the, 
ultimate goal that you have with these properties? I'm assuming it's not just to rent properties. You're trying to do something. What, what is that goal? Honestly, the end goal for it since the beginning is really just the financial independence aspect because we know as soon as all these properties are paid off, paid off, even just the duplexes in Illinois, if they're paid off, it gives us so much more freedom. Like if one of us decided not to work, we could do that. Having all of them paid off, both of us could not work and then some, and we'd still be able to put money away. It gives us more than enough wiggle room to live our lives and be able to pursue those passion projects like he mentioned or travel the world and work remotely. It's just the freedom and the options to do whatever you want. And, and, and what would you say you do differently today in preparation for this kind of long-term goal? Cause there's gotta be some sacrifice that you're going through now to be able to, to <laughs> kind of look for the future. What, what does that look like for the people who might not understand that? Spending a lot less money, right, Travis? <laughs> <laughs> Budgeting. <laughs> Budgeting. Okay. So, so would you say that you are, I mean, you're probably good with money anyways, because, you know, with your guys' age and kind of going into the, this space, you have to be good with money or else you could never, you know, operate this type of business or side hustle, whatever you want to call it. But do you think that you are more frugal than you were before? Or do you find that you're just more practical and realizing like, hey, I don't need a $70,000 car? I'd say practically frugal. I like the combination of those two. Okay. <laughs> and I, I like the term, uh, we, we really like the Choose That Buy podcast and, and they like the term valuist on there. Okay. So it, it's just, we put thought into what we're spending money in. Like we were just talking about travel earlier. And I mean, between the two of us, we spent probably close to $10,000 on travel this past wow. year. Wow. Okay. So, so it's still spending money. You're just spending it in ways that are more quality or you're extending those, that value, basically. You're, you're right. basically taking $10,000 and making it worth 20 uh, because you, you spent it in the right way or spent it at the right time or whatever it is to get that extra value out of it. Right. And that $10,000 was actually 10 trips plus travel awards. That didn't even include like hotels and airlines for the most part. So it's like, we're still doing more than what a lot of people are doing. Right. And what about time for people who work, right? I know you guys both have, you know, some different kinds of jobs there, but how, for somebody who's got the standard go to work every day, nine to five type of job, how would they get into something like this? Is that even practical to travel and have these house hacking techniques if they have that kind of job? Or is this more, you got to have a little more freedom to do these things up front? You know, I mean, obviously with more freedom comes more opportunities with anything. Um, but, you know, I think it's just kind of a stepping stone type deal where the, the more money you have in the bank or the more different sources of income, just the more freedom that comes with that. And I mean, we're by no means anywhere near having enough, you know, cash flow or money in the bank or anything like that to quote unquote retire right now. But we've got enough assets and enough flexibility right now where we don't like you know, if one of us lost our job or something like that, we don't like stress over where our next paycheck's going to come from or something like that. Um, but yeah, we're both in sales jobs where we do have a lot of flexibility with that. And I mean, I'll go home on my lunch lunch break and clean up my place for an Airbnb that's getting ready to check in that night. Or if a renter's pipes leaking or something like that, you know, six six of my units are within five minutes of my office. So I can run there at any time throughout the day for the most part and take care of an issue. And then the other four units are in St. Louis where we live most of the time. So we're always 
right next to our units. And that's, you know, some people don't like living next to their renters and there's perks, uh, pros and cons, obviously with that, but at least you're right there. You can see how the properties are. It's just easy to address issues. So I think that's another great thing with doing, you know, the quote unquote house hacking where you live in your rental is that it's a great way to start out in rental because I didn't know hardly anything a year ago. You know, obviously I'd grown up with rentals a little bit in that, but just like anything, until you do it for yourself, you don't really know. Um, so that that's why I always tell people just start with a duplex. Like if it's something you're interested in and you just kind of want to you know, dip your toe into it, to me, buying a duplex isn't that much different than buying a single family house. Right, right. It is, it is very similar. So, so maybe to switch gears a little bit here, just so that I can get your guys input on a few other things. You, you did this, this travel hacking too, right? So what does that look like to you guys? Cause that's something that I do a lot myself and, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for people to learn a little bit about some of the travel hacking um, that, that you guys are doing. And I, I can definitely speak to some of the things that I do. Yeah. Oh, oh, I get the travel hacking portion. Well, travel's one, uh, the travel hacking is one that Travis is very hard up about, as I mentioned before. <laughs> I know you're kind of a travel hacking guru yourself, um, but a big thing, it really started from the Choose a Five podcast last year. I know he started it more. Um, I honestly initially started opening credit cards under Chase or the kind of quote unquote Chase gauntlet I mentioned to you Yep. Um, last fall. And okay. under yeah. And so under that, we realized, because most of those rewards, you're getting 50, 60, I think 80,000 points for some business cards each time you open a card. Right. And you're spending between three and $5,000. And to some people, that might be crazy, obviously. If you can't spend 3000 in three months, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. But right. a lot of times, you know, a lot of people can put their rent on it or a mortgage for a few months or, you know, your recurring expenses, like, cable and gas and whatnot. So you just put everything you would spend on it, get the bonus, move on to the next one. So right now we're in the middle of doing chase. Um, like, yeah, and for us, you know, with having the rentals and that we have a lot, if you just look at, at how much savings most Americans have and how much credit card debt they have, unfortunately, I think most Americans are spending a thousand dollars a month or more on their credit cards. <laughs> and, uh, that that's a whole different topic as, as far as probably looking to cut that down anyways. Um, but if you're regularly putting a thousand dollars on a, a month on a credit card anyways, in my opinion, there's no reason not to be doing credit card rewards. Now, if you're keeping a credit card balance, you know, priority number one is to get that paid off and pay it off every month because otherwise you're, you're losing more money than you would ever gain. Um, but if you use credit cards responsibly, I mean, like Abby was saying, 50, 60, 70,000 points on a credit card is anywhere from 500 to 1500 dollars in travel rewards in essence that you're right. getting off of those points and you know we took like abby said we did 10-ish trips this past year i think and we didn't pay for a single one of those flights didn't pay for most of those hotel rooms um, rental cars all that type of stuff um, i mean we did two international trips a weekend trip ish a month or so and spent probably three four maybe five thousand dollars each for all of that over the course of the year because we were able to get the flights the housing and all that covered and mainly just <laughs> food and booze and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that <laughs> as you're bouncing around mm -hmm. 
And, and what about uh, uh, like hotels? So did you do conventional hotels or did you guys do like Airbnbs and some other kind of mixes as you were traveling as well? We did a mix the whole time. Luckily with my job, um, I have like a corporate account with hotels so I can stay. So I have signed up with Hyatt, Marriott, IHG. I think we also have Hilton. So mm -hmm. I'm able to rack up points anyway through work, which is awesome. But then Chase, which is what we're going through now, has so many partners. So we're able to use those points with those hotels on top of it as well. So we, right. we'll it's been 50-50 to the most part between yeah. Airbnb and hotels. Yeah, once Chase partners up with Airbnb, then we'll probably be, <laughs> probably be more in line with Airbnb. Yeah. Um, but they're, other than just doing like a straight um, cash-based reward card, at least I haven't found, maybe you know something that I don't as far as um, using credit card rewards points for Airbnb. Because um, I, I like Airbnb the best. For the most part it's just you know when you have these hotel points to use it's like you might as well stay at a hotel most of the time yeah um, yeah no I, absolutely that makes sense that the only thing uh that i i've seen is more on the spending side than the actual reaping the reward side right you can get uh five percent cash back at airbnb for a quarter of the year with some cards right you can kind of uh allow online purchases or some rolling category to get five percent back yeah Got yeah, it. compounding rewards, but to actually utilize the points from something like a Chase uh, preferred partner to go out there and you take like a Aer Lingus flight for free, you can't do that with Airbnb. I, I'm not aware of any any partnerships like that, which I think is what you were talking about that you, you're hoping is going to exist yeah. soon. Ho hopefully that partnership comes along here before too long. Um, one day, Connor, one day. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, just to kind of to wrap it up here, what, what kind of cards do you guys have right now? So what's like, what's a standard everyday use for you guys? You're doing Chase Gauntlet, it sounded like. I feel like the better question is like, what cards don't we have currently? No, <laughs> I'm sure you've done more than we have, but. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody should probably start with the Chase Sapphire Preferred. Uh-huh for the most part. Um, they used to waive the fee. Now I think it's like $95 the first year or something along there. And I think you get 60,000 points, which is around like $750, $800, somewhere yep. in there to spend towards travel. And if you can find a way to open up business cards, that just opens up a ton of avenues for you for Chase. And we love the cards that give you the actual Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which on the personal side, I believe it's just that um, Chase Sapphire Preferred or Reserve. Right. But the Reserve has the $450 fee, which scares a lot of people away. Um, so that's why I usually recommend the Preferred. But then on the business side, there's three other, I believe it's three other business mm -hmm. cards that you can sign up for. Uh -huh. that have between a fifty dollars and $80,000 sign-up bonus? Yeah, so there's there's the ink, right? There's the, that's one of the, I think, $80,000 uh, point, or 80,000 yeah. points there. And then you got the Southwest triad, right? You got the personal, the small business, and then the corporate for Southwest. But what's the, what's the other card that, cards so that you're talking about? Chase Inc. Business Preferred, but then there's also the Chase Inc. Business, um, or the Chase Inc. Cash, and the Chase Business Unlimited. Business Unlimited, gotcha. And you get 50,000 points for the Inc. Business Unlimited and 50,000 points for the Inc. Business Cash. And then you get 80,000 points for the Chase um, Business Preferred card, I believe it's called. Wow, yeah. 
So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just in one year alone, each of us racked up 250,000 chase points or something like that. <laughs> right. Which exchange at like 1.3 to 1.5 on the, on the point, right. For the dollar system, it's, you, you kind of is in favor, right. When you exchange you get, it for travel, you get a 25% bonus when you use it for travel, as long as you have either the ink business preferred or the chase Sapphire preferred. So yeah, I mean, my math's terrible, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth a lot more, right? You get ten, you get you get a hundred thousand points. It's really worth you know uh, twelve or thirteen hundred dollars. Exactly, yeah. So we each got over three thousand dollars in value just on those four cards, and then I also did the two Southwest cards to get yep. the Southwest Companion Pass. Oh, you did? Okay, gotcha. It, yeah, for anybody listening that does a decent amount of domestic travel, that to me is the number one travel hack that somebody should shoot for is signing up for the new Southwest business card that they have, which gives you 70 or 80,000 points. And then another Southwest personal card, which gives you 40 or 50,000 points, depending on what you hit. And then they just upped it. So you got to hit 125,000 total points. Yep. But between opening up two of those cards, you know, spending yeah, a decent amount on those over the first three or four months you should hit that pretty quick. And and the great thing with the companion pass is you could get it for the rest of that year and then all of the following year. And that gets you buy one, get one free flights for that entire time. Right. Provided that the companion is on board with the primary, primary user, I believe. Right. I think that's the stipulation for the companion pass. Yeah. So like I have the companion pass and I can change it over the course of the year. Um, but like Abby's my companion listed on it. So if I book a flight, I can add her to that flight at no cost. You just got to right. pay that five ninety nine fee or whatever it is. Um, right, right. Taxes on it, but for essentially no cost, you can add on your companion to any flight that you're booked on. Wow, yeah, that's that's uh, that's definitely the the standard hack, and that's uh, Keith. Keith does that too. He's very big into having uh, the companion pass for his kids. So him and his wife both fly, and they both have the companion pass for the kids. So the four of them fly always together. Yeah, uh, you know, for two for two for four or four for two, I guess you'd call that. That's definitely how we would do it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, like you're you're like if you're gonna fly with somebody else, you might as well go for that kind of reward because it's just worth it, right? The only downside is, like you said, it's it's the year you get it in plus the next year. So I mean, that's not really unlimited unless you're churning cards in a different way or or, or doing some manufactured spend or something. I think well, it's tough to get a long term. You know, since we don't have kids yet, it's nice that we can kind of rotate it. Because at least for now, um, as far as I know, the Southwest cards, you can get the bonus every two years. Yes. So, you know, I hit it this year and I got it right in like January. So then we got it for that two years and then Abby will do it next year and then she'll have it for two years. And then by the time hers is expired, I can pretty well sign up for mine again so unless southwest changes the rules we can pretty much just rotate all the time yeah which one of us has the um companion pass yeah that's awesome so you sounds like you guys really figured it out I mean, you got the rental properties you got the the two sales jobs you got the the travel hacking the credit hacking you know what else is left is that 100 percent of your guys time <laughs> you know just uh contract sale, medical equipment sales on the side <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> 
that's that's pretty cool that you guys have done that. And and for people who are who are going to listen to this, where should somebody start? You think? I know you talked about Chase Sapphire preferred being you know probably the card to start in in a duplex. But you know, for people who don't really have a lot of knowledge, is there a book, a podcast, a resource that you think that they should kind of go after and look up so that they can have a little bit more literacy in this space? Uh, we, we really like the Choose Fi podcast, and that that's all one word. It's Choose. FI, just the letters FI for financial independence. And it's a podcast and they're, they're just two, you know, quote unquote normal guys um, that just kind of go over the basics of a lot of different kind of types of uh, life hacks more than anything, I would say, in regards to optimizing your finances and just kind of getting everything in order. Um, that's a good one. Uh, they actually just came out with a book, which I haven't read yet, but I'm assuming that would kind of sum up um, some good basics. Uh, Choose FI, I think it's called Choose FI, Your Blueprint, Your Blueprint to Financial Security. And then um, uh, Impact Theory Podcast, that's a good one, just kind of for all around. Yeah, it's Tom uh, Bayou, right? Tom Bayou, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. very inspiring. He's like, He's like my Buddha. I love him. <laughs> yeah. If you want to dive a little deeper into the rabbit hole, um, I I really like Mr. Money Mustache. But Mr. Money Mustache. He, he's a little extreme for some people. Um, but um, he's he's got an idea, or he's got a blog post. Um, now I'm blanking on it. He's pretty much like the money saving extreme, like. Choose if I talks about life hacks and he's like, this is how to life hack the life hack. And he kind of, I don't know, a lot of people call him the revolutionary and like the financial independence movement. And he's the one that kind of like, he lives, like he bikes everywhere. He doesn't even have a car. Like he could live off of, what was it like 20 grand a year or something like that for a family with kids. Like he's just, he's like frugality at its best. Gotcha. So it's kind of like a Dave Ramsey, but even to the extreme, because Dave's talked mostly about, you know, paying down debts. Sounds like money mustache is more on like how to live on less than what you need. Pretty kind much. Of, yeah. And he's Ram more, more just along kind of that value line again, where, I mean, you know, he'll drop money on a Tesla if like he, you know, thinks it's going to enhance his life and that he's not opposed to spending money. Um, but just, I think the way he describes it, he likes to set up his day where he does something, you know, mentally stimulating, something physically stimulating and something like emotionally stimulating or like, you know, engaging with people, that type of deal. Sure. And, um, I just kind of like his philosophy, but uh, he's got a great article called the shockingly simple math. Um, or the, it is the shockingly simple math behind early retirement. And he just kind of breaks down how much you need to save to be able to retire. And I don't know about you, but I always just heard these, these numbers, you know, you need 3 million, 5 million, 10 million, like these crazy numbers to be able to retire. And if you can cut down your expenses, you know, live a somewhat optimized life for most people, you need far less than that. And uh, he just really breaks it down in a nice way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's the thing is like your the financial strategy that people have does not have to be based on just real estate or just credit card hacking or just travel hacking or just frugality. It can be a combination of those things, right? As long as they're willing to go through the process, right? Do some sacrifice, do, do some risk reward, do some pieces that are going to actually help them out in the long run. 
Yeah, I think it's really just being conscious of it more than anything. And um, that's something that we're passionate about and something that we'd potentially like to do down the road is do, you know, whether it's financial coaching or just something really at probably like the high school level, because it it really blows my mind and, and irks me that there's essentially no financial literacy in the United States. And in most, Zero. In most states, mm-hmm. it's not taught at all in school. And I don't know where I heard it from, but heard a saying one time where, it, you know, it doesn't matter how much you make. If you spend more than you make, you're always going to be broke. And that's right. and that's most Americans. You know, it doesn't matter if you earn 30000 or you earn 300000 You end up with the same amount of money in your bank account at the end of the year. And it, it's just we're not taught any different. And most people don't even know that you can retire before 65. Right. And, and, and that's also a goal that some people have that's not even a practical goal because that kind of shows that, you know, what are you trying to escape, right? When you say you retire at 65, like why not retire at 35? Like what is retirement, right? All that is, is you're saying, oh, I'm stopping work, right? And at the end of the day, the financial goal is, should not be necessarily tied to a, a, an age in years. It should be tied into your actual goals, right? If you want to retire at 30 and you want to sail around on a boat, but work remotely, great. But I mean, I myself, I enjoy my job. I would be, I wouldn't know what to do if I stopped working. You know what I mean? It would be, I couldn't fill it with enough, enough things to, to make it stimulating enough. So it's interesting that the goal is 65 for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, I think we all agree here that it, it's really independent as to what each person wants, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for us, uh, same thing. We, we don't even really like kind of the retirement aspect that gets thrown into it mm. a lot when kind of the financially independent, retire early, different stuff like that. And, and for us, um, it's more just kind of the financial independence side of it and the freedom to do whatever we want. And if it's, you know, if we want to start a passion project or do something like that, just not being tied to a job where we have to be there every day mm-hmm. and, you know, you're scared to step out on the limb or anything like that. And if you've got kind of that nice financial runway and cushion to back you up, it just takes a lot of the pressure off life. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And that's why people have to get real serious about, uh, you know, what, what they're doing and what their goals are. So is there anything else that you guys thought that we should talk about before we wrap it up? Or is that, do you think that covers most of the, the high end, the high ticket kind of items? Yeah, that's kind of what we wanted to cover. Just a little bit on the rental properties and a little bit on the credit card hacking. That's like the top two. Those are like two pillars of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if you can optimize your car, and just not go out by the brand new car when somebody gets out of college or something mm. like that. And if you can find a way to pull off a house hack fairly early in life, I mean, in my opinion, you're 75% of the way towards financial yeah. freedom. Just, it's like, you're good. <laughs> just, just from that. And then, you know, just start putting money in your 401k and your Roth and, and just don't look at it for 10 or 15 years and <laughs> you'll be pretty well on your way to financial freedom. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and, and telling me a little bit about what you're doing. Um, if there's, if someone wanted to find out more, you know, you gave them some of those resources there. Is there some way that they could find out? Do you guys post any content yourself? Uh, do you guys have like a personal Instagram or a, a website or something like that that people could find out about what you do? Not really. I blog a little bit um, for a friend and it's just Rachel L. Macon dot com and you can find me on there i've got a few articles about financial independence house hacking different stuff like that 
Um, and that's yeah, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we're like building content in the ghost world before we ever want to post it. Kind of gotcha. more figured stuff figured out than do um, posting more down the road. So awesome. I'm sure you'll hear more about us like three years from now. <laughs> All right, there we go. I look forward to reading it. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, have an awesome night. You too, Connor. Thanks Thank a lot, you. Connor. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. <laughs>